Chapter 6 of The Three Friends, A Story of Rugby in the Forties, by Arthur Gray Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Changes Passing over the rest of the summer half with its great matches and little matches, its house matches and pie matches, with its long delicious walks on Sunday evenings to Addison's Bilton, where a grebe once lived and laid an egg, or to the old canal, home of the Shrike and Moorhen, and back by the planks in Avon, and last of all the great and terrible long list, in which, thanks to a week of wet weather, and an alarm which woke them early, as well as others who had no wish to be awakened early, both our heroes took a good place in the examination. We find them, at last, next half-year, high up in the twenty, from which they were again promoted in October, owing to special causes, into the sixth. It was a great advance, and neither of them much liked it. There had been a good deal of friction lately between the sixth and school, in which, though in the main neutral, they had at times freely criticized the holders of authority. And now here they were, at one jump, on the same quarter-deck with the switcher and other magnates, with new duties and privileges, which would separate them from their former friends. It was a great change, and made them feel awkward. So sudden, said Fleming, it's like taking a header into deep water before you can swim. Why not give us a little time to think about it? What will you do, he said to Alan, if so be as we meet old Paddy smoking some day? Set him lines. Strangle him, said Gordon, grimly, clutching at an imaginary throat. He took a serious view of his new duties. Couldn't we look the other way, murmured Fleming? What an ass he was not to get into the fifth last half. No, said the other, we've got to do it, and the sooner he gets to know it, the better. Besides, he's a good old chap. He'll understand. Fleming sighed. Well, it's a great nuisance having to break with old friends. Not bad ones, either. Be a policeman. I wasn't made for it. However, however, we've got to do it, like it or not like it. The house and school have got to be carried on. Just call Fag, will you? Fleming knit his forehead a little, but opened the door, and in a somewhat wavering voice, very unlike himself, called Fag. The call was scarce audible, but no one came. They looked at one another and smiled. Then suddenly a quick step was heard, and in walked O'Brien. I just came to have a look at you, to see how you were getting on. I thought you might be wanting a little good society after your change. You old wretch, said Fleming, smiling. Did you hear me call Fag just now? I heard an old sheep bawing away somewhere in the close, said O'Brien. Why didn't they leave him in his old field? It's the promotion, does it? Bah! There he is again. And he imitated Fleming's call of Fag so exactly that even Gordon's grimness gave way. They all burst out laughing. I say, Patty, said Gordon at last, we want you to give up smoking. It don't do, you know. Is it my old pipe, said O'Brien sadly. Sure, and you would not have me cut an old friend like that. You must cut it or cut us, said Gordon shortly. There's no help for it. Ah, well, it's a wicked world. But look here now. You may go and search my whole study, and you won't find it. I defy ye. It's in his pocket, said Fleming. I smell it. And then tapping his side pocket, he added, There it is. I felt it. And wasn't I just bringing it to you to ask you to keep it for me? I'd be very good if I didn't see it. 
But you see, it's tempting me. The old thing is. I can't resist it. Before I change my mind, take it now. Gordon shook his head and opened the little window wider. It would scent the whole passage, he said. Bah! That's what the sheep said, muttered O'Brien. Put it behind the old dictionary, suggested Fleming. And me, who have sworn to look out every word in the dictionary that I don't know, and that's thousands of them. You'll make a villain of me. Wrap it up in paper, then, and give it to Mrs. Wixey to keep for you, urged Gordon, in his strong, decided manner. And she, with a fine nose that can scent a puff of an old pipe a mile off, replied the other. I tell you, it would poison her. Then fill it with camphor, answered Gordon. She'll take it for one of your stuffed birds, Pat. For O'Brien was a bit of a naturalist. Eah, the poor thing, answered O'Brien, ruefully regarding his pipe. It won't know itself for the camphor in it. However, here it goes, a sacrifice to friendship. And he rose to depart. You'll be merciful to my little failings, boys, he added with a comment look, which almost upset them. It's mighty hard being good all at once, without even a long stick in my hand to remind me. And he left them with a shrug of his shoulders, just looking back at Gordon for a last shot. Didn't you say that smoking's bad for the wind? Yes, said Gordon, very bad. Ah, then, that's just what my old grandmother once said to me. And he was gone. Some few days later on, when the six were at fourth lesson doing Latin prose without a dictionary, which meant not doing much, the headmaster surprised them all with a long speech on the subject of shirking, the substance of which was that he had long thought it a hindrance rather than a help to discipline, and especially on the island, and he wished to consult them on the subject. His reasons, briefly, were that it had become, with the lapse of time, wholly unreal, and much as he respected old customs, he thought it would be best for all that it should be given up. He could not see, he added, that it made authority more respected to keep up a mere formality, but that the best way to prevent rules being broken was to make boys run away just far enough to prevent your knowing if they were breaking rules. Gordon and Fleming thought of O'Brien's pipe, and looked at one another. However, he did not wish to make any sudden change, but invited their opinion on the subject, and he turned to the head of the school, after due consideration. The form stared. This constitutional way of asking their opinion, instead of settling the matter straight off, somewhat puzzled them. But on the other hand, Tate's words and manner, always weighty, were so specially dignified on this occasion that they felt his speech to be what would now be called epic-making, and they left the library awed and impressed. During the next few days many were the discussions on the proposed change, there were those in the sixth who thought it an invasion of their privileges, and were dead or rather hot against it. Others, again, who did really reason, thought that the old practice of shirking, though a form like carrying canes, helped to support and sanction the authority which had to enforce discipline, and these, though more mildly and doubtfully, were rather against the change, especially as it might lead the school to expect more changes in the same direction but on the whole the majority made up of the more moderate and thinking fellows, reinforced by many of the newcomers, such as Gordon and Fleming, had long begun to doubt the wisdom of some of the old ways, included under the term Arnoldism, and felt there might be a good deal of truth in the taunts, 
that filtered down to them from the university that rugby men were often great prigs they were the victims of a system once perhaps necessary which tried to turn boys into men too early might not the time have come for easing away the distinction between the sixth and school and putting all on a more natural and friendly footing such were the thoughts of boys and men at that time and if i have introduced a page of history into my story which non-rugbyans would do well to skip it is partly to give a glimpse of tate's mode of dealing with the preposters whom while keeping up their power and essentials he wished to free from what was unnecessary and out of date the thing to note however is that his constitutional method of procedure of consulting the six before abating them of their rights led it was thought to general discussions on the rights of authority productive of serious consequences later on for rugby oh my young friends for whom i write was then a great debating shop there were levies of the six levies of big side levies it was said even of the fags which all matters such for instance as the introduction of a professional were discussed with the keenest zest and stubbornness opposition and scenes such as are now thought peculiar to a french chamber were not infrequent fiat justicia ruat coelum was shouted by the ardent advocate of liberty if i had heard such language used to me in any other place it was retorted i should have thought it cheaply answered by a blow ah well we were young in those days we were filled many of us with the strong wine of arnold's teaching and example and the great principles of liberty then stirring up revolution on the continent found a ready hotbed at rugby making us doubtless talk great nonsense though we uttered them with all the vehemence of boy's nature it was about this time that o'brien came into fleming's study one day and said so you're all going to have your pigtails cut i hear what will the emperor of china do next what do you mean said fleming why i'm told there's to be no more shirking or canes or punishments and the sixth are to black the fag's boots and make toast for them what nonsense where did you hear it mackie said he heard the switcher saying it to twining and when twining laughed at him the old switcher romped out of his study and switched up and down the passage like a madman mackie's a little liar i should like to give him a good licking said fleming hotly and then he told his friend what change was really proposed and at it and a good thing too and is that all said o'brien with a disappointed look sure and i was looking for a blazing big row in the school was getting ready my old shillelagh and which side would you take pat said fleming smiling ah then said the other i'd pray to be guided but look here he added more seriously have you got your stick yet no but it's ordered well you had better get it you may want it there'll be caps of liberty and wigs on the green before long or my name's not o'brien and now before the old shirking is quite dead and gone couldn't you come and call me on one last time just once this afternoon you and alan i'd like to tell it to my children for the fun of it fleming laughed oh anything to please you pat but where anywhere you'd like barby road just before lock-up i'd be taking a small whiff of air then when my work is over to get those old gerunds and supines out of my head for once they're just buzzing there sometimes fleming assented and don't keep me waiting too long for it or maybe i'll get tired 
and let out a few curses at you in Irish. Get out, you rascal, said Fleming, taking up a big dictionary to hurl at him, but O'Brien bolted. That evening, as the two friends with their new sticks were parading on the Barbie Road, they saw a tall figure running hard across the fields to the right, and as it came near, Gordon said, By Jove, it's Pat! Whatever has he been doing? And O'Brien it was, looking behind him as he ran, until reaching the hedge, which he jumped, he recognized his friends, and promptly shirked them. They as promptly called him on, and up he came with his coat torn, his hands bleeding, and looking generally dilapidated. "'Don't say you saw me,' said O'Brien to Fleming. "'The keeper fellow comes this way.' And then off he darted again, soon vanishing out of sight. "'Oh!' whistled Gordon, another of his mad tricks. "'He's no more sense than a daddy long-legs. And look, here comes the keeper.' They were moving slowly along the road, working homewards when a middle-aged keeper, panting and blown from running, hailed them from the field, and said, "'Did either of you gents see a young gentleman? A darn young poacher, I call him, with a gun, going this way?' "'No,' said Fleming, "'we haven't seen anyone with a gun. Are you sure it wasn't a stick he carried, like that yonder?' pointing to the switcher, who was taking a brisk stroll across the fields to get into condition for the sixth match. "'As if I didn't know a gun from a walking-stick,' said this keeper scornfully. "'And I saw him a-shootin' too, like a good un. Three blessed brace of our birds he had, and if I hadn't stopped to pick him up, as he threw him away, I'd have had him too, for all his long legs.' "'Well,' said Fleming, "'we've seen no one with a gun go this way. Good evening.' And they turned homeward. "'At his old game,' said Gordon, "'confound him. When will he steady himself? You went rather near the wind with our friend there, Flem. I'm glad he didn't ask me. But after all, how could one suspect the fellow of being such a fiend for sport? interposed Fleming. Poor old Pat, it's bred in him. He can't help it. Why, in Scotland, said Gordon, we should give a fellow two months at least for half of this. Bravo, said his friend playfully. What a thing it is to be a laird. The laws are all born in you. I wish they were in me. Then on reaching the schoolhouse, Fleming went straight to O'Brien's study, and found him patching up his fingers with new stamps, and looking much pleased with himself. I'd a splendid time of it, he said, two of the finest coveys you ever saw, and I just got well into them when that beast of a keeper came up. By Jove, I had to run for it, and throw all my darlings to the wolves. You mad old Pat! Whatever led you to go shooting over that land? It's strictly preserved. It was just temptation, said O'Brien. I met old Murphy on the road with his gun under his arm, and says he, there's some fine coveys on Captain W.'s fields, quite untouched. Ah, said I, but I've turned over a new leaf, Murphy. I cannot. They're lying like stones, says he, this fine weather. Stubbles knee-high and turnips higher. And there they lie for me, said I. Then, said he, I'll have to go at them myself, and so just to save the poor creature from destruction, I went instead of him, and here I am. And the gun? It's under the better part of a fine two-year-old haystack, stuffed into the soft. Murphy'll never find it, never fear. I wasn't thinking of Murphy, but of you. You vowed to turn over a new leaf. And haven't I turned over a new leaf every five minutes, till I got to the last of them? When I met old Murphy there, there wasn't a leaf left in the whole book, nothing but the bare cover. 
fleming laughed well keep out of alan's way he's in an awful wax about it to be brought out there just to tell lies for you to the keeper it was too bad of you it's a very serious young man said his friend that gordon a little shocked now and then won't hurt him no but seriously he added dropping all his rollicking irish manner i'm awfully sorry flem if i got you two into a hobble you see i don't think i just make a jump like a grasshopper somewhere and never know where i'll come down and then there i am in a hole what's to be done i'll have to enlist and get drilled some day these rules bother me well said fleming i'm not the fellow to preach to you pat or to anyone but we've got to obey rules and to keep the games up and the house going and this sort of thing won't do there now do you see that and i'll do it said o'brien there's my hand on it but and he looked droll if one could only have a bit of a row once a fortnight like an extra half holiday or a donnybrook fair just for the fun of it my ancestors were all fighting men and he gave fleming a sly look you old wretch said his friend you've no more conscience than a stuffed fox ah replied the other this life in a dovecote will be the death of me i'd better be clearing out of it altogether and there the affair ended. End of chapter 6